Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and in this episode we'll be looking at a really special event, The Quiet Man to the Quiet Girl, an Irish film music journey which is taking place in Belfast on the 26th of October. Coming up you'll hear from Film Ireland host Pius Ojo who'll be chatting with composer Sarah Lynch but first up I got to speak with event organiser Tim Burden about the celebration of music and film. So thank you so much for chatting with us, Tim. Um, it's great to have you here. Hello, Gemma. Good to have you. Good to see you. Thank you. So I, I, I was I was doing a little bit of Googling about you and I saw you also do interviews. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, look, it's, it's unusual for me to be on the, on the other side of this, but um, it's no, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk about film and, of course, film music. So. Thanks for chatting. The event sounds absolutely spectacular. It's The Quiet Man to The Quiet Girl, an Irish film music journey, and it's taking place in Belfast on the 26th of October. And I was just wondering if you could give us a little overview of it. Sure, yes. Well, it's, it's a concept very much derived from a, a great idea by Frank Gallagher, who's a legendary musician. He's worked with some of the best in Ireland, uh, all across the country, and also even with Billy Joel and you know, some um, international legends. And this concept is really a celebration and uh, looking at the history and, and reminding where things began, you know, back with the, the Quiet Man, which is very much old school Hollywood Irish, but then going right up now to, say, The Quiet Girl a couple of years ago, which, of course, people are still even uh, inter- being introduced to, you know, which is great. You know, some people haven't seen it yet, and it's, it's always a film I encourage people to see. So right up to The Quiet Girl, and it's, it's a great transition there. And so in, in between, in between this kind of timeline, you know, we have some of the um, legends like, you know, the Chieftains, they actually won an Oscar, you know, along with Leonard Rosenman for Barry Lyndon. You know, their work on Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, you know, that was during the 70s. And then in the 80s, there was this resurgence of certainly – uh, orchestra music, but electronics was, you know, um, swooping in because you had this very effective sound. We had Harry's game, you know, from Canada. And then in the nineties, that, that sound also, we had a bit of Enya, uh, her song, uh, Far and Away, Book of Days. And we had Elliot Goldenthal's terrific score for Michael Collins. But then the beautiful voice and sadly missed Sinead O'Connor providing she moved the, through the fair the classic traditional Irish favourite, given that, you know, very melancholy um, uh, vocal touch by Sinead's very unique voice. And I think it's important to say during the event, we're actually going to have a a kind of tribute montage to Sinead O'Connor to recognise her contribution to uh, film. Because, I mean, she she did so many film songs, as you know, like Brian Byrne, Albert Nobbs. She did that wonderful end credits song. As she moved through the fair, I talked about, but also like the Water Horse, uh, you know, that, that kind of family film from Sony Pictures a while ago. She did a lovely kind of uh, Celtic flavored song along with James Newton Howard. So the, the night's going to be quite varied, you know, and that's what's interesting, I think, for the audience. This journey they're being taken on is, is quite diverse because you, we've also got film songs being sung by Darren Simpson from the Celtic Tenors. And he's going to sing Brown Eyed Girl, Van Morrison's classic, which has been in so many films. And of course, we have to recognize Van Morrison in the, in the night. Uh, we'll be rude not to. And then Michelle Baird, she's going to be singing uh, The Isle of Inish Free, which a lot of, a lot of people will know the song, of course. It's been used in many things, particularly The Quiet Man. And Ruth McGinley, the uh, classical pianist, Ruth is actually going to be performing some music from James Horner, the Oscar winning Titanic. And also John Williams, Angela's Ashes, Alan Parker's film based, of course, on the Frank McCall book, which, of course, is a brilliant, brilliant piece of music. And all of this with the presence of some of today's best composers, you know, being helming from Ireland, uh, Sarah Lynch, Stephen Rennix, who we know did the Quiet Girl score and did a wonderful award-winning score uh, for Room, uh, as you know, that's a brilliant Irish film. And we also have Mark Gordon, who runs the score draw music. Uh, he's done some terrific work with, uh, Belfast. He's primarily based in Belfast, but he's, he's, he's done some work internationally. Like, I mean, he provided 
some score for um, Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water. You know, so it's it, this is a, a very varied event, which is, is commensurate, really, I suppose, with the, the variety music for media has to deliver. And it sounds wonderful. It sounds like people of all ages will enjoy it, that there's a kind of a, a variety of styles of music all performed live by brilliant musicians. Um, and you're obviously knowledgeable and such a fan of it yourself as the organiser or something like this as well is is definitely a laborious thing that you have to have passion for. Tell me about why uh, why you wanted to organise this. Well, whenever Frank Gallagher and I were chatting a while ago, it was really a case of wanting to actually make make a point of highlighting so many wonderful scores uh, across you know the the history of of cinema, not necessarily you know Irish funded cinema, but you know cinema that was set in Ireland as well as TV. I mean, we certainly have. We, we're going to mention uh, Father Ted and uh, Bally Kiss Angel. You know, there's some very lovely musical uh, interludes during those those iconic shows, you know. So it was really something we were just... And, and it's timely. I think it's really timely because of the the great Irish film resurgence we were just talking of a minute ago. You know, there's so many fantastic films being released, um, Irish-based films, and I think it's great just to, to take stock and, and look at where we've you know, come from, where we are now, and Certainly, we're, we're going to hopefully have an Irish-based composer win an Oscar soon. We hope there, there's yet, you know, has yet not yet been an Irish-born com- uh, composer winning the original film music Oscar. So, uh, who knows? Let's hope it's uh, someone you know from our shores soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's overdue. So we 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 kind of have place for such a tiny country in in a quite a few fields. So it's nice. It would be nice to have that one kind of checkboxed absolutely yes so so tell me a little bit about um the so this is sitting in as part of belfast international arts festival that's a kind of a longer festival that takes and they 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 have great events um every year just tell me about how you're going to fit into that program absolutely well richard wakeley is is fantastic and whenever we think of uh, the international arts festival based here in belfast one of the wonderful things about it is is the diversity uh, and and the variety, I think, of, of of events on offer, you know. Now we're doing this event at the Strand Cinema, which is a wonderful Art Deco cinema in, in East Belfast. Been around since the nineteen thirties, and it, it's really it's so so fitting. And with the Arts Festival, there's so many different events all across Belfast and slightly beyond. Like uh, you know, we're going to have the likes of Mark Armand. He's going to be performing some of his music. There's uh, the lovely Cara Dillon will be performing at the Grand Opera House as part of the festival. And we also have the Ulster Orchestra, a bit of a tribute to Rachmaninoff celebrating his, you know, his legendary uh, birthday. So it's, it's one of these, it's one of these, I suppose, festivals, which try, it, it delivers so much, so much variety. And to be part of that, it, I think it's, it's, it's testament to, you know, offering so much, to an audience, uh, you know, I mean, you can get festival passes, of course, and you can also, I mean, there's, there's a lot to see and there's a lot to experience, but it's, there's never, I suppose, you're not left feeling hungry, so to speak. <laughs> but the, there's a uh, plenty of, of creative, creative fuel for the mind there on offer. And with regards to The Quiet Man and Quiet Girl, a music, uh, an Irish film music journey, Tell me a little bit about what's your favourite. Like, so we all have our favourite picks. What's the thing that you're looking forward to most on that lineup? I think, well, it's going to be lovely having the composers talk about their process. You know, we'll have Sarah Lynch is going to be um, ex- explaining some of her working process, you know, in her own studio. And then what we'll do is we'll play some of that music, that the finished version uh, as a clip. But then it gives the audience that that kind of perspective, in of how she would approach scoring that scene. You know, the um, so one of the clever things about writing music for media is, is knowing where to place it. Uh, you know, silence can actually just be as important as actual music. You know, because you don't want to be over egging 
and you know kind of completely um squashing the audience with too much music so silence is key and then explaining to an audience why there's silence in addition to why you know she may have taken this approach with music similar to the Stephen Rennix I mean I'm, we're going to look forward to hearing Stephen talk about the way the quiet girl was scored because the beautiful scene at the end of the film you know where she's running and um embracing as we know you know the the only person that cares seems to care about her and you know you think back to maybe the the old hollywood era it probably would have been maybe slightly overdone but stephen very neatly and carefully underplayed it with with beautifully touching strings and another important point to actually to to mention i haven't mentioned remiss of me is lyndon campbell the music supervisor is flying over from london to be with us um now she worked with Carla Burwell on the Banshees of Inisherin and she's going to explain that process because Carla Burwell uh, was specifically told by the director you know Madonna that he's not to use any kind of fiddly d or irish themed music he has to use you know slightly ethereal and perhaps fairy tale music and and that's whenever you listen to Carla Burwell's Banshees of Inisherin, which was Oscar nominated, as, as you remember, then you, you do get that kind of otherworldly, wonderful kind of sound, uh, you know, which Lyndon is going to chat to us about on the night. And we'll, we'll have again a couple of clips on the big strand cinema screen to describe how Carter and Lyndon delivered that kind of final magical result for that for that score. God, it sounds like people in the industry, people with uh, like wanting to learn more and people who just love music will benefit from that. So it's a it's a good it's a good kind of audience and place to meet like minded people. I don't know how you're going to fit it all in. It sounds like very Yeah, because we're going to open, you know, the audience, the uh, to, to questions, you know, because I'm sure they will want to ask questions to the composers there. And Hugh Odling Smee from the uh, Film Hub NI, which is run by the BFI, is is going to be hosting the night for us, which is tremendous. And he has a, a great authoritative um, knowledge of, of Irish cinema and, and cinema in general. So it's going to be a, a very uh, conversational evening, but with lots of sound and, and uh, visual, you know. Fabulous. And where can people get their tickets? Well, it's BelfastInternationalArtsFestival.com is the website and you can also go to strandcinema.com where there's um, a link to, to buy tickets there. So it's, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's actually, it's very reasonably priced not to sound too kind of uh, shameless and plugging, you know, it's, it's, it's if you're a member of uh, the film hub and I, it's only five pounds, a concession is seven pounds and then full price is 10 pounds. So it's, um, it's pretty good value for, you know, a couple of hours of your, of your Thursday, the 20. 6th of October evening. Yes, that's uh that, that that's the really good price. We'll be travelling <laughs> up. It'll be cheaper than anything anything further south anyway. Yeah. And so you have a clip for us? I do indeed, Gemma. Yeah. So this clip is a is a nice little montage of some of the key moments which will be showcased on the night. So I hope you enjoy listening. Sounds like a wonderful taster. Let's have a listen. seems to me little more than a common opportunist. 
I don't think he loves my mother at all. the field. Oh, McCabe's field? He rents it. You see, I? No outsider. We paid for my field. Is the bull McCabe's field my wife? Nobody would bid against the bull. That lovely green grass, and you want to take it away from me in the sight of God. I can't let you do that. Uh, you could be inviting a lot of trouble for yourself. on a professional basis. <laughs> How are we professional if we've never been paid? Titanic. Pull oh, every string I could. The book is on the grandest ship in history, and you act as if you're going to your execution. Oh, forget it, Boyle. You'll never get next to the likes of her. record on our shelves. I'll put that record out. You passed. So what? You're making a record. Will you record us too? I'm not that pissed. If we don't get a record soon, it'll be too late. Good buddy from Belfast, where everybody knows you. 
We're looking to cleanse the community a wee bit. You wouldn't want to be the old man out in this street. Touch my family and I'll kill you. Are we going to have to leave Belfast? We'll fight this together. This is it. This is what? This is war. We're living in a civil war. What do you want? I want my family with me. Brilliant. So thank you. Thank you so much. It sounds like an amazing, it sounds like a really, really amazing lineup. Some of the best, like most historic things that music that we've we've heard over the ages in relation to film. Uh, so amazing. Thank you so much. Well, Gemma, thanks so much for chatting with me and I uh, hope everyone enjoys the event. Now we're joined by musician and filmmaker Pius Ojo as he chats with award-winning composer Sarah Lynch. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say it is a pleasure to have uh, Sarah Lynch here, a IFTA award-winning, multi-talented musician. You know what I mean? I want to give you, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to just let you know that I appreciate you taking this time to oh, be here you. right now, and it is an honor having you. Thank uh, you. Yeah, today. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's great to talk to someone. I've just been composing for the last few hours in silence so it's good to talk <laughs> Is, oh really <laughs> to get out of the cave for a little while yeah have you been like flat how long have you been flat out for if that if that is the case um I don't know I, I you know I feel with this job it can be feast or famine mm. um, and then it what seems to happen the last while is that a few things happen at once and then I could be twiddling my thumbs for a little while but um at the moment uh, I'm working on the the dry season two, which is which is, yeah. So that's what I'm working on almost exclusively now at the moment. So it's 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 really really good fun to be back. Congratulations back on working. Yeah, I was glad they they brought me back. <laughs> Delighted. Um, am I correct? That is what you uh, received an award for at the IFTA. Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so so I just I met with um oh just yesterday I met with the director Paddy and mm-hmm. and I was working with the editor Greta who's just fantastic and it's and because you know a lot of my work is kind of um you know you're on your own a lot when you're working it's just really nice to meet in person because it's really good to bounce ideas off uh, and discuss you know the narrative and where we're going to take the next season what we you know so it's really good to to meet in person I just think it has you've missed that um and it's a great way of of feeling inspired again as well with ideas um, and it's fun as well you know nice to get out of the house <laughs> how does how does that process happen even for the dry was it like a moment do you get a phone call do you get a uh, yeah what's the process of getting that uh, information that you will be a part of a project like that okay so we'll say like with season one how did I get yes. to the yes. job yeah. yeah well actually that was a pitch uh, I I threw my um my agent, Juliette Martin, she uh, runs Silver Stream Music. She uh, just called me one day and said that there's a new series and um, would I be available to pitch some ideas? So that's, that's how that started. And then um, and then it was through that process from there. Um, it's so vague now. Uh, uh, 
but yeah, that that really was. It was a pitching situation. It wasn't just a phone call saying, "Would you do the gig?" You know, there was there, there was a there was a process involved. Yeah, and look, then um, I I guess that whatever I pitched uh, had resonated with the producers in an element. Um, and I I suppose that's probably one of the main reasons. I got, yeah, for why I got the job. So it was it was it was it was brilliant. I'm so exciting that they absolutely loved the script as well. Um, and I was delighted, I just was dying to uh, dig my teeth into a show like The Drive, you know. Do you get to read a script before? Um, yeah. After to, yeah. yeah, you can read the script. Some It depends, but most of the time, and it really helps as well uh, to read the script. They might, you know, sometime you might just get the opening, the first episode to get a feel for it. But I really think it helps because you get like, a really good understanding of um the characters of the tone and the, and as well as that you know they, they it either invariably depends um you know they might not start shooting uh so you're you sometimes you're only working with script or sometimes you could be working maybe if they hadn't found a composer and it was quite late you could be working with like just rough assemblies uh but the last few while yeah it's been working uh reading the script responding to the script um yeah so but they because composers are brought on uh, ideally, the earlier there's, this is the, an ongoing discussion, like as well with composers, like how early do you want to come on to a job? Uh, but for me, I really like to um, come on as early as possible. Whether I'm working uh, in earn, whether I'm working full time on the project, you know, what, you wouldn't want to be working full time from a very early stage. But I think it's really nice to come in early, read the script, have discussions, and some time because they might say to percolate, you know, to to get the ideas in your head. Um, and also it helps coming on this wasn't even a question but uh, no I love this this is great it's nice to come on early because it means that the, the chance of your music being tempted to the edits uh, there's a big chance that that would happen so that means that the editors are listening to your music the and the producers and the director and they're getting they're getting a feel for it so that you're not sort of left having to essentially replace temp music so yeah yeah so that's yeah um, would you say when um, ideas come to you, would you say um, when you're on set, is it like a, a um, is there a specific thing you usually hear? Is it more feeling that you, is it from watching, maybe watching a, a scene happen that you're like, oh, this is a melody that will come or that that you feel would fit the scene or what um, for you? Do you have a specific? Yeah, thing? well, actually the huge, the main, the huge part of this is that it's such a collaborative process between the director and you. So uh what you aside from reading the script and having your own interpretation um of what you might think the music should be like it, it, a lot of it even the majority you are listening you are having a conversation with the director and asking what they want mm -hmm. and what is their what is their vision for the for the role of the music so it's between that mm -hmm. it's between the two the you know the composer director and and kind of, and i i would be uh, listening a lot at the start for any hints or just trying to get into their headspace a little bit to see where they're coming from musically and it always helps as well of course to have ref like Spotify use a little playlist for Spotify just to go through Would you create that or, or would did uh... I would let, I mean I might, yeah we both would uh, sometimes I mean, there's all different ways really but I think it does help um, I'm sure, like, you know, every composer is different, but for me, it does help to to sort of, it's good to have a starting point, a, a, a talking point for discussion, hmm. you know, even if it's one song or one track, yeah. um, I could listen to it and then figure out, I wonder what it is about that. Yeah. But they like, you can't assume, obviously, directors, it also, they, they won't have the musical vocabulary, but you don't want them to either, you, hmm. you, because really the conversation is about tone emotion i don't need to hear what they like in the chord progression for example but it's about what they it's about the feel of the, the song maybe there is an instrumentation that's resonating with the director maybe there's a tone or a feel or whatever it is and from there then i can kind of start to carve out something along with my own interpretation and then we see where we meet in the middle and yeah. then from there that's kind of the start of the process you know yeah did you play like an Act, like have you um acted before i think um i saw that like you, uh, you know, a in a, yeah like a violinist did you play like a violinist in a, i in played a, an inspiring busker yeah yeah an inspiring busker no, yeah yeah oh, that was funny. no i'm not an actor by any means I, and then i i i think uh yeah that was um that was 
for the the girl at the end of the guy. A, a brilliant uh, short by Die House uh, Films, directed by Bonnie Dempsey. And I was doing the score and it so happened that they were shooting on Dublin 8 and we both lived in Dublin 8 at the time and there was that little scene and, and I just asked Bonnie, can I, can I be the, you know, oh, I don't know who asked who, maybe she probably asked me what I'd do and I probably said no at the start and then I thought this would be great crack. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I played the inspiring, inspiring busker. Yeah. I'm very intrigued to know, like, have you ever had any aspirations to be like a mu- like a, a musician of that kind of in, in, in the, how do you say? Yeah. Like a musician, yeah. you know, the modern way of. Yeah. Like- well, I, I started off as, as, as the, a live performer. So I, in all through my, you know, I started uh, learning the violin and piano from a very young age and I've always been playing actually. And it's, and I studied music in college, but, and, you know, I toured, uh, with many bands and I was a session musician as well for a good while. So that's where, um, I suppose it all kind of started as well. So for me, I was getting formal training from a very young age in the academy in uh, the World Irish Academy of Music in Dublin. From about the age 12, actually the first few years, when I think about it, my my mum would bring me up on the bus to Dublin every Saturday just for violin and piano lessons and orchestra. Um, Thanks to your mum. I know, unbelievable. And thank God I got that IFTA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. wait a long time after that. Do you still perform around? Do you have time to perform, or is it fully? Um, oh yeah. well, well, I love performing, and I mean, I don't do the late the the rock and roll gigging anymore. You know, at night time, and go. It's just not really possible. But I, I have a, there. I have a trio. Um, at the moment, we're called the Tiny Quartet, and we do a lot of. There, we well, we started a few years ago, and they are, you know, out the door gigging. And uh, luckily, I, I can kind of dip in, and I because I'm not in Dublin anymore, and um, so it's quite hard to sort of be able to just, especially with a young child, it's hard to be able to have the availability to to gig. But I really, I do miss it, and I love, I love performing, um. So. I have that. And then I did the odd gig here and there. Yeah. I mean, I spent most of my twenties gigging, you know, up and down the country and playing and and I sort of and you know, I did a good bit of, of arranging and things like that. And it sort of all roads were sort of leading to this, to the um film scoring element, especially from um, you know, loving learning, you know, film themes as a kid and soundtracks on the piano and tinkling away and you know, but anyway. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I still do a little bit, and I I would love to do more, just because I love I just love meeting the musicians and the social aspect of it, and it's fun. And um, but of course you can't do everything, so you know it's kind of yeah, it comes and goes the availability. The the tiny quartet. Where did you get that name from? Oh, I know. Uh, I mean, it's just stuck now, right? Uh, but the tiny quartet. I don't know because we are we were a trio. But a lot of the time there are four of us playing and then people are wondering if we're just really tiny people or not. <laughs> so it's, yeah, so we're like a tiny quartet, but the tiny quartet, I have no idea what the name goes, but we don't overthink it. But yeah, it's a great, great um, group of musicians. Uh, so Donald Gunn plays the guitar and then with Brian Heaney on double bass. And then we have um, other like, uh, you know, deaf musicians who cover for me. And we have a singer as well, Neve Farrell's. Who actually sings on the the dry? Uh, she's the beautiful ethereal vocal uh, yeah. in here. So she's also um, yeah, like one of my best friends. It was bridesmaid at her wedding actually. So really? uh, yeah, so it's great to yes, yeah, so it's all like a musical family. You're you know? conne- yeah, connected in some yeah, way. Yeah, and it's so small and with the music um, community, I think in in Ireland. That must have been a real cool moment to have her singing on a film that you're working on as well. I know um, as artists, I can imagine that, you know, it's nice to kind of be able to. um, Yeah, if you're able to work with your friends, people that you um, maybe have similar dreams or similar aspirations and being able to kind of actually that to happen. That must have been a really cool. Oh, great time. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, absolutely. It's really nice. And. Also, if either the better you know musician, you can you can um, 
uh, it's good to have a shorthand as well, musicians, where, where you know, and it's, you just, you, know, you don't have to do it yet. And you understand and you know their capabilities and you know what they can do really well. And that's really, yeah. And they're also very impatient with my, um, with my sometimes disorganized ways. <laughs> so, you know, when you have a full kind of orchestra, right? Oh, um, yeah. And like, for me, being a composer that just and having a full band a full orchestra and you need to know each and every person's part am i correct in saying that maybe if i'm wrong but yeah because you'd be writing the parts yeah you'd be doing yeah yeah, yeah. so like that takes a lot of a, a certain level of organization a certain level of leadership um of like imagination creativity um yeah. handling pressure was there a moment where you just like Okay, yeah, I, I'm okay. I, I, yeah, yeah. From go, from from gigging and doing and being a live um, instrumentalist. Uh, oh, I know what you mean. Well, but because I mean, everyone kind of learns music in their own way, and you know, there's no one one path. Um, but for for me, I was learning a lot of that from from the time that I was a teenager because I was learning. Well, I think it helps as well to. Uh, for me, it helped being playing in an orchestra. You get because from a very young age, you're kind of hearing, um, you know, you're hearing all the colors of instruments, and so you're getting into your head. And then later, we used a when I was you know studying music in Trinity, we would learn about orchestration. So that's when you learn the that's where I learned kind of the the craft of it. You had a role to play in Men in Black. Um, is that am I correct? Oh yeah, I role I was performing on that. Um, just one one track. So the uh, the orchestra on on, on Men in Black. Um, he was looking for. I mean, one of the bunch of those plenty of a few orchestrators, but looking for um, a sort of gypsy fiddler in a way. And uh, you know, I mean, I my background will be in folk music and classical, and um, but I. Can't take time. I said, I mean, I could definitely try my hand at it. And so, what I, I think actually it's only on the end titles, but you know, it's important at the time as well. I wanted to get my IMDb credit and I didn't mind what the credit was, you know, because you just wanted to get some credits going. But still, it's it's nice to have it. But uh, I was, I'm playing over, I think it's the end credits, I'm playing a tune. Um, which was, I think it was like adapted, they, it was then mixed over an orchestral piece, something like that. So it kind of has this kind of free and floaty um, piece of music at the end. That's kind of, I get, yeah, gypsy-ish style. Yeah, I, I also wanted to ask about um, the Joan Bays documentary. Yeah, that's just, oh yeah, it's so exciting. It's having its um, US um, release I mean, it just started last week and that's having its run and it's going to be on demand, actually, I think. And the wow. 1st of November. So that's that's really good. It's really exciting. And um, I just love um, the filmmakers on this film and this intense, beautiful journey. When was that? Be so inspiring. Um, it was, when was it? It was during the pandemic. I mean, the, the directors, the co-directors on it, um, Karen O'Connor, who, who actually is a longtime friend of Jones, who, she was the one who sort of um, helped make this whole uh, film happen because what's in it is, it's such a an intimate, I guess, um, complex memoir of Joan's life. And there really need to be, needed to be a lot of trust there. So Karen, I mean, she's known Joan for over 30 years. Um so so yeah, it was Karen and then the other directors were Mabel Boyle, who I'd worked on with before, and Miri Navasky. Um so what they achieved, um this beautiful film. Yeah, so they, they they started years ago actually for them, and maybe seven years ago when initially I think Joan had put the idea into kind of um to not record, what's the word? Um her Freddie Well tour. She wanted to see, she was like, maybe I'll do a little thing on it but she wanted the, the camera around to um you know capture it and I think the big part of this was 
what happened was that the directors had been in Joe's house in California and um, she handed them over the keys to her storage unit where she had never been, um, you know, her old family home. And in it, they discovered um, everything that like Joan's parents had documented everything about her life, but she never knew. And so we're talking about like artwork from the time she was five, journal entries, wow. um, therapy tapes. And they 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 kept like everything, drawings, and it, uh, there's so much in this. Um, so um, that this became, they didn't know that the parents were keeping all these. She didn't know, and you know she wasn't around and things. This and the thing is that um, Joan also didn't have final cut on this film, so this was a huge part. There was a huge amount of trust, so she handed the keys over, and then what transpired was. You know, it leads to the fact that Joan kind of this. So you know, Joan realizes something from her past that she wasn't aware of, and and so there's it, it's quite a deep um, film. But they are it's not really like a traditional biopic of a, of an artist. It's more, I guess, they would call it like a, a visual memoir um, of of you know, and, and it's quite complex, but it's stunning. It's just stunning. And Joan is so, she speaks with such candor and she's really not holding back on it. So I, I started this maybe 2019. I was on and off with this, working with Maeve, specifically the director, working out themes for Joan because um, we kind of wanted to capture the light and dark elements of, of you know, there was a lot of light and dark currents that rise and fall under her, under the surface like of her past and her present and, it, and the score is kind of centered around that so it's quite playful it's light but it's also dark and you know Joan has a ferocious sense of humor as well so we didn't want to you know that that was really important as well so we're it's yeah it's a complex film um but it's it's you know it's really stunning and getting really good reviews in the states so brilliant yeah well congratulations on that. I was a huge fan of Joan Baez growing up so really Oh. scared to start <laughs> and uh that I had to just forget about that I'd never get anything written <laughs> were you able to do you think it was uh how was that obviously you were, you said you were working kind of side by side in a way to get the um the, the light and the darkness of um, yeah so how was that um working on the actual song and knowing you said you kind of grew up um kind of knowing yeah so see, yeah I think I just sort of separate it like you think about it is in terms of what is the narrative here and it's you know the the most important thing was just really to capture um that light and dark but also I it was I didn't have to think about Joan the, I mean of course I was thinking about her but it all threat but it was it just became another you know, she's the main character, but what was important was really to make sure that I was um, capturing, I guess, all the complex strands within this film. And and also there's a lot, of, there's a beautiful moment, there's a good few beautiful moments actually in this, but um, her, they, the filmmakers decided to animate her drawings that she made as a child. And they, this wonderful um, company called Eat the Danger, they, they brought all her artwork to life. So... Uh, that was a stunning element of it because I was kind of scoring animation there as well. But it really organic, really true to Joan's drawings and it just kind of lifted, it just added such a beautiful brightness. And so it was really fun as well to score those, um, to score those elements and while all the time kind of fitting it into a thread, a musical thread, uh, you know, because there's a lot going on in the film. So I think all as well as the scores sort of have um, a th thematic identity, which you can sort of, adapt and change and but there's a familiarity um, and I think that all roads kind of led back to Joan and her president and Joan you know throughout this process but it was a lot it was it was a good it was a few years in the making score wise as well you know on and off and that yeah that's but, amazing yeah, excited yeah and really uh, thrilled now I'm, I'm very happy to hear that for um that's that's just amazing to be able to know an artist and be able to work on something that she trusted in her best friend. You said I think too mm, yeah. didn't even didn't even um have the final say, but just yeah. And then to uh, I can only imagine even to has she do you know she's watched it? Has she? 
Oh, well, she has, of course, because well, she watched it throughout the process as well. And even they went to her house, you know, a few years. I don't, actually don't know when, but to show her the first cut of the film. And I know that it was emotional for her, but she was really pleased with what she saw and what she heard. And I think that was really there. I, I imagine they were nervous playing it for her, yeah. as it would be, you know, and um, but she loved it. Um, but in terms of Joan, <clears throat> yeah, she's watched it and we even attended the premiere with her uh, in Berlin, which was fantastic. And um, she was there as well for it. And so she's been doing it like she's so rock and roll. You know, she's been going to the premieres in New York. And, uh, uh, you know, there have been Q&As and Jane Fonda led the Q&A last week. And so Lana Del Rey, but she's such a huge fan of uh, and a good friend of Joan. I'm a huge fan of Lana. I won't lie to you, man. Oh, oh yeah, no, God. she's fantastic. So, yeah, so well, and Elton John posted about it as well, just saying it was such a wonderful, moving film. So it's great. And I think with Joan as well, you know, a lot of the stuff that's discussed in the film, it's things that her audience wouldn't know about that she's never spoken about. So I think, you know, it's not like, I I, I imagine some people might go and they might think it's like a, a just a, con- a concert uh, footage and it's all, you know, bright and entertaining, but it's quite dark. But I, in Joan's words, she, she, she wants to leave an honest legacy. And, um, you know, she's she's been famous for 60 years, more even. So there's a lot there. Yeah. I don't know how the editor, I don't know how Maeve Boyle edited that film down. There's just so much material. <laughs> or how the filmmakers decided even to, you know, what stays and what goes, you know. But that, that's what, that's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you probably get to a stage where I know it's obviously a clutter and then you obviously have to make some sort of sense of it. But um, um, uh, with so much footage. Yeah. And so much archiving. There's so much archiving yeah. stuff. Yeah. 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 I could do it. <laughs> But I'm sure having a good team as well uh, can yeah. help, you know, having a good team, that uh, good advisory um, people. To yeah. As well. And they all have their different roles and things. Yeah. Like, you know, so they, yeah, yeah. But it was a big, big, big job. But yeah. Payoff is great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear that it's doing, it's doing well. You know, yeah. um, she seemed like a really, you know, as you said, honest, honest person. Oh, yeah. Just, you know what I mean? Just, uh, yeah. Even, even wanting not to, I can imagine there were certain things, maybe even in the film, that she's like, Ugh. but it's like about being honest rather than just having a That's film. It. It's, it's glamorized, okay. if that makes sense. Oh, it's not. Yeah, exactly. And it's there were things in in that film that she's looking back on and watching about, you know, even with her own son, her relationship with her son, and he's, you know, basically saying that she wasn't there for him, and she's she's watching that, and she wouldn't have seen that, you know, and, you know, there were certain things in it that, and, and also the other thing is that her family aren't here anymore of her her, her parents and, you know, mm-hmm. her sisters, so, and there were some areas, but there's some, you know, footage where uh, Joan would have been seeing for the first time, like, uh, of her sister talking about Joan and not, you know, it's it's really, it's, it's so deep, but that, she had this openness to lay it all bear and it's and I think it's a really important film, especially for women of Joan's age who yeah. who may not, you know, they, you know, she she's just she's talking about stuff that I know women of Joan's age would find difficult to talk about or mm-hmm. things that might be buried in the past. So on that level it's such an important film as well. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've gone you've had like this journey of uh, where you're at now which you know again congratulations for your ifta and it's just this and it's yeah. it's like you know there's i can see that you really care about the work you're doing and i can imagine you um you have reasons for picking the what you want to get involved in and oh yeah that yeah of course and i think the the beauty of getting a little bit more experience and more credits under your belt is that you you can't you well I'm not saying I get to pick and choose all that much but I think the doors are opening a little bit more where I can Mm -hmm. you know work on when I read a work on um you know plot work on projects that Mm -hmm. have really interesting scripts um that have you know strong characters that I can resonate with that, that resonate with me or 
that, or, you know, I can be, or any script that I would feel really connected to or believe in it, or I love the filmmakers involved. So that's really important as well. It's, it's you know. Yeah. For my career, yeah. Obviously, you're on season two of The Dry. Congratulations yeah. for that. Um, well, I, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> oh, but, but you've, yeah. But it's, I'm hey. working on it, yeah. <laughs> So you don't have to congratulate me out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not, it's not soon, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. Nah, you're on the. Hey, it's yeah, all. We're in the middle of it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you're in the middle of it. And um, do you? I see you have an audience there. I also be using an audience. I think that's an audience there. The your um uh your interface. Oh yes. Yeah, it's an audience. Yeah. Um. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a good one there. What's your Asp- like maybe one, maybe one or two or a few of your aspirations um well I think the base is just to continue to be able to work on projects that really have such meaning have weight and depth and that's that will be important for me that I, I I can be involved and work with really talented um filmmakers and crew because it's so important as well and to to just give me opportunities to have to, to work on that, to, to to build on that as well, you know. And another aspiration would be to play the violin again and properly and start playing my scales every day. You haven't been doing that, is it? <laughs> Many. I certainly haven't been doing that. Yeah. Um. And you know. And I think an important thing as well is to. I think a work-life balance is really important for this world because you have to keep your head screwed on. Um, and I think it's, it's, that is an important thing as well. I'm getting a little bit better at that because I, you know, I, I have to, um, but to, yeah, to work on that and, and yeah, that's it for now. Of course, I'll have loads of aspirations when we finish this podcast. Um, I'm, yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, just, it, just with regard to the work, I think that's it just to be given the opportunity to work on on projects with good, you know, good scripts that have meaning and weight and that I, you know, and tend to work with, with, with a really good crew. Yeah. Um, and people I trust. You know, yeah. Important. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for your time. My pleasure. Guys. Yeah. I really appreciate you uh, taking Not time. The Quiet Man to the Quiet Girl, an Irish film music journey takes place in Belfast on the 26th of October and you can purchase your tickets now on Eventbrite.